Um, and the thing that I want to focus on is what we learned the very first day, and that is that God gives us hope. And that passage from Jeremiah that Sophie read for us was the passage that we used to, to learn about how God gives us hope. In the passage we, we read today, we hear a word from hope written to the exiles in Babylon. Jeremiah says on behalf of God, for surely I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare to give you a future with hope. It's a popular verse. We hear it a lot. Um, I think it has sort of like a cinematic quality. When you read it, you, you imagine that next great thing that's kind of out there on the horizon. It's also the verse that we use for our permanent endowment fund. Um, I think it speaks to the legacy and blessing that we want to leave for future generations through things like planned gifts of the blessings that we've been given uh, during our life. So again, verse 9 says, I know the plans I have for you. The Hebrew word here for plans can also be um, interpreted as thoughts. And I really like that because you can read it like this. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace, not evil. I like that because plans can sometimes be cold, right, and disconnected. Plans can sometimes be made without attention given to the individuals involved. And not always, but plans can sometimes just be about getting something done. Plans can be rigid and inflexible, especially in the hands of someone who likes to make plans. I am one of those people. I'm sort of type A about uh, many things. And so if Diane and I make a plan to go do something um, and we deviate from that plan, I might get a little uptight and it might take a while to talk me down from, uh, you know, her, for, while she kind of gently reminds me of how arbitrary the plan was anyway, right? <laughs> and, you know, to be fair, it can go both ways, right? <laughs> um, but thoughts, thoughts are different than plans, right? Thoughts are personal. Thoughts are intimate. Thoughts can be flexible and fluid. In our minds, Hopefully, we reserve the bandwidth not taken up by work and um, responsibility. We reserve that bandwidth for, for the people that we love most. And in our minds, we, are, we imagine great things for the people that we love most. And it's not so much that we're making plans for that person, but we're sort of daydreaming about all the great things that could happen. And that's what's happening here in this verse. God is thinking wonderful thoughts towards us. And when I think about the mind of God thinking thoughts about me, that's overwhelming. And I think it begs an invitation for me, for us to ask God, God, what are you dreaming about for me? Because I know that your dreams for me are way better than the plans that I can make for myself. So, as I said earlier, Jeremiah's words are coming from a letter. Oh, I didn't say this earlier. Jeremiah's words are coming from a letter uh, from Jerusalem to those who had been exiled in Babylon. This is after Israel had been divided into the northern, northern and southern kingdoms about 600 years before Jesus would be on the scene. So during this time, the kingdoms are weak and there's outside uh, countries warring with them. But while that's happening, 
Babylon is growing in strength, and so they eventually just take over everybody. So um, people were forced to leave their homes and to be moved to the, the country of their conquerors. But it wasn't all bad for them, or as bad as you might imagine it to be for a conquered people of that time. They were able to live in settlements of their own people, to get jobs. They were able to uh, serve in, in public service. And some of them even rose to positions of prominence. And uh, earlier in this letter from Jeremiah, we, we hear about this. Jeremiah says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city I have sent you to, into, into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So life for the exiled Jews was not in a state of suspended animation. They were going on with their lives and even putting new roots down but I wonder, as they stood in their new surroundings and surveyed, what, what were they thinking? What, what was the best possible outcome? I think for them it was to go back, to go back to the place that had been their home, and when they get back there, for that place to be theirs again. So I wonder, what do we have in common with the exiles? Can we understand ourselves as exiles in a foreign land. With some exceptions, most of us live where we live because that's where we want to be. You know, we're free to um, make decisions about how we spend our time and money. And most importantly, the place that we are right now, we call home. But maybe we have more in common with the exiles than it would first appear. There's a professor who says this in a book. He says, just like the Jewish exiles, the church today is grieving its loss and struggling with humiliation. How does that strike you? Do you sometimes feel a sense of loss about the church, that somehow the church has lost its footing as the cultural standard bearer that it once was? I know those words hit me hard because when I'm going about my daily life, I pretty much, in general, assume that the person standing across from me in whatever situation is not going to be on the same page as me. Um, at best, they probably think the things that are foundational to who I am as a person are maybe a little weird or um, you know, irrelevant to their life. And you know that can feel like humiliation. That can feel like shame. Even as someone who has never really experienced the good old days, I sometimes wish we were back in a time when our stories were the stories that shaped truth for everyone around us. So, here we are as exiles, maybe wondering at our place in society, what is our hope? What does hope look like for us today? But I think it's at this point that we part ways with the Babylonian exiles. Because for them, it was to go, their hope was to go back. But for us, our hope is to go forward. I think our greatest hope is beyond what we have here. Like Nancy said, it's to live in 
what did you say, full in your prayer today? It was something like full relationship, and that, that's, that's it. To live in perfect relationship with God and all of creation. That's our ultimate hope. So if we do understand ourselves as exiles, and I think we can, um, I think there are three possible outcomes for us. I think first, we can feel hopeless. I feel hopeless because I don't have any grounding, I'm adrift, uh, without the security of a society that validates my beliefs. I still believe what I believe, but it doesn't give me much comfort or hope because I don't really feel relevant outside the walls of this church. A second response as an exile is to get lost in the foreign culture and completely forget our beliefs and who we were made to be. I think this one's really easy to do because there's no real solid line between us and the society out there. It's just a big field of gray, right? And every time that we try and draw that line, all we end up doing is creating groups of people who are in and groups of people who are out. And that, I think, is counter to what we know about what it means to follow Jesus. So I'll get to the third outcome in a minute, but I think that first Jeremiah has some things to say about these first two outcomes or reactions to being in exile. Today's passage tells us not to lose hope. We can be assured that God's thoughts towards us are thoughts of peace, thoughts of hope. Sometimes we lose hope because we feel disconnected, but Jeremiah tells us that we should be putting down roots so that we can be people of influence where we are to pray for our city. And we can forget who we are by becoming distracted. Jeremiah says, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. We might say, don't pay so much attention to the constant social feeds and buzz feeds and marketing and, and all these messages that we're constantly bombarded with every day. We need to remember who it is that we follow, who it is that we were made to be. So we can either be hopeless, we can lose our identity as exiles, or the third option is that we can embrace the hope that God has given us to be a community of transformation. It's right there in our mission statement, following Christ, transforming lives. And those aren't two separate ideas. It's a cause and effect statement. When we follow Christ, our lives are transformed, and we cannot help but be transformed, and, how, and therefore transform the lives of others. As exiles, we actually have this added benefit of having an objective view. We can look down a little bit apart from culture and see the cracks, the cracks that can be filled in by the hope that we have in Christ. The hope that we've been talking about may seem a little bit abstract, so we told the kids this week in VBS, we said, it's not like I hope I get a new bike or maybe for you, I hope I get a new job or new promotion. And, and it's not that God doesn't care about those things, but it's that it's not our ultimate hope. It's a deep hope is a deep and profound expectation that one day everything will be made right. Creation will be complete. We will all experience and know the full glory of God. 
Part of today's lectionary reading is from Mark 4, verses 31 and 32. It says this about the kingdom of God. It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that all the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. I think this is the perfect picture of what hope looks like for us today. The kingdom of God, whose seeds have been sown by Jesus coming to be here with us, by God sending his Holy Spirit, that kingdom is in progress, like a mustard bush. It's growing towards a perfect completion, where eventually all people will find a place of refuge. It's an organic metaphor about creation that speaks to the intimacy of the thoughts that God thinks towards us, thoughts of peace. And I think the very idea of creation gives us hope because creation is inherently unfinished. It is in the process of being created. I feel most hopeless when I feel like I'm finished. Like, I know exactly who I am, and I know exactly who I'm going to be, and there's not really anything I can do to change that. That is hopelessness. But if I understand myself as being part of God's ongoing work of creation, then I'm unstuck. Because I know that one day I will grow into the person that God created me and is creating me to be. And that is hope. So the good news, friends, is that the thoughts that God thinks towards you and me are thoughts of hope and thoughts of peace. The plans that God has for us are good and that God promises us a future with hope. And that hope is our expectation of a complete relationship with God and all of God's creation. Amen.